I am currently still surviving 27. Oh yeah, you're not. You still have uh, some ways to go, huh? So. Yeah, I'm about halfway or something. Okay. Well, a little bit, a little bit less than halfway. Not that far in. I could still die, I guess. Yeah, but the thing is, you need to get famous first. Oh yeah, I don't have enough time for that. Yeah. Mm. Oh well. Okay, I guess um, that's that for this episode of the 27s Club. Where we talk about being 27. (laughs) In the morbid minute. So welcome to our B-side production. Be positive. The positive B-movie podcast. Here we are again. Every day coming at you. (laughs) Uh, But only if you listen to us every day. You know some podcasts make it up to like 300, 400 apps. Yeah. And you could literally listen to like one of their shows every day for a year. That's what I hope to achieve. Yeah. 365 episodes of Be Positive that you can listen to from start to finish. uh, And we'll call it the Positivity Challenge. And people will do it and it'll be grand. I mean, I don't think it'd be too difficult. I mean, I myself already listen to like three, four hours of podcasts a day. Keep some brain active. But also you can, if you're alone, you can pretend that there's people in your house talking to you like friends. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's that's pretty much what, what it's for, I think. Right, so today we're doing probably the best movie ever, ever put to celluloid. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The George Barry's 1977 masterpiece, Deathbed. Death. The bed that eats. That's right. Um, don't you wanna? Don't you wanna introduce yourself? Oh yeah. Hmm. My name is Fraser, and I'm. Death Louis, the Louis that oh, eats. Oh my god! That was perfect. Thank you. That actually is starting it off uh, the same way that the movie starts it off by uh, some disgusting chewing noises. Yeah, and with a black screen, Which. so it's the full audio experience. Yeah, yeah, you could just really imagine you're right up inside someone else's mouth, uh, just slathering across their gums, slipping in their spit. Oh, getting all moist. Moist, avoiding the teeth. Mm. You know, getting up in there between their molars. Getting all crunched up. Oh, God. Yeah, it's it's terrible, terrible uh, startup sequence. And this is a surprisingly slow movie. Where For a film where the killer is a bed, this really is surprisingly slow. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, this is, this is what I was hoping for when we started this podcast. Yeah. I.e. really bad B-grade films that are secretly European arthouse movies. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I find that this is perfect, a perfect example of the heart and soul of a B-film. Absolutely. I th- yeah, like I think a lot of a lot of B films kind of try to emulate Hollywood, try to you know stick to sort of Hollywood structures and conventions and things. Whereas, you know, I think Deathbed, the bed that eats, shows us that what really counts in B films is the creativity you use, you know, to get around budget restrictions and to then not just make a shitty version of a Hollywood thing, but to make yeah. Your own interesting, unique thing. Yeah, something that you can actually learn from. Uh, it might not have the best actors. That's, again, that's a budgetary thing. 
this movie oddly acted but it has a concept some some kernel of deep truth that the director really wanted us to see and that is his intense fear of beds his uh unending <laughs> fear of beds and of being trapped in a portrait but i think before <laughs> before we get into too much of it why don't you hit us with a bit of a synopsis yeah of this like i don't know it's 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 not a roller coaster ride what's the opposite of a roller coaster shopping cart if i had to compare it to some kind of fairground ride i'd mm-hmm. say it's i'd say it's a ferris wheel yeah it's slow yes that is and it's it's about the kind of gradual revealing of what's happening and then returning back to the same point without much having changed. <laughs> yes, that's perfect. Uh, that's even that's even a description of the plot. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, <laughs> yeah, so plot-wise, how much plot is there really? We meet the bed in the first scene, and he eats a guy. Uh, we also yeah, meet the spirit who's trapped in the portrait looking out at the bed, one of the bed's previous victims, who we'll talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we jump to some unspecified amount into the future and we meet our three protagonists we have uh, you yep. got your Diane you got your Carol and you got your Sharon and there uh, Carol was it Carol I wasn't think... it Susan oh god Susan Carol and Sharon Ugh, Diane no, no. Susan Susan Diane and Sharon yes my bad my bad I don't know yeah, where I, I was got also Carol. I I, w- I had trouble uh, with Diane's name because, like I've said in the previous episode, if you don't repeat the name more than once, I have no <laughs> idea who's ha- what what anything's about. If I always miss the first time, and I'm like, ah, eh, this one, this one, I'm sure he, <laughs> the tall she one. has a name, the tall one with the denims. So they're kind of getting away from we don't really know what Diane and and. Uh, Susan just seemed to be on a sort of holiday, but Sharon, no, who is missing? So Sharon ran away from oh, home. God. Okay. Susan and Diane are work, uh, their colleagues. Okay. So Sharon's the runaway. Yes. Sharon's the one, runaway. Okay. Susan is the uh, wet blanket, and Diane is the driver. Okay. Okay. So anyway, they arrive at the shit heap. It's basically a ruined mansion. It's completely overgrown, and the only part of the estate that is still relatively intact is this um, cellar I suppose in which the bed uh, resides and then I don't know how much of a plot you could say there is but what's her face Susan has a little lie down on the bed and she gets sucked right in she gets eaten by the bed foamed up Mm -hmm. Uh, like a baraka yeah and then Diane and Sharon try to find her obviously without any luck Diane decides to take a little nap. She gets half-eaten. Legs all mangled. But then saved by Sharon. But then Diane Mm -hmm. does get eaten. (laughs) Double eaten. And then Sharon's brother, who's been looking for her, shows up and gets his hands eaten. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, poor dude. And he's not even freaking out. He's just... This is my favorite scene, and this is the scene I was waiting for for the whole movie, is his hands just sort of go into the yellow water, which is the inside of the deathbed, and 
just turn into Baraka, like one of those yeah, effervescent yeah. tablet type of things, and just sort of goes away. And then he pulls out his hands, no pain, pulls out his hands. Oh, look, my hands have yeah. turned to skeletons. And then he... <sighs> so ridiculous. A joint falls off and is like, oh, no, the cartilage is decaying. They're going to fall yeah. off. One by one. Oh man. Uh and so then um with with the guidance, the psychic telekinetic guidance of the man in the painting, Sharon learns which ritual to perform to to destroy this demon possessed bed. Yeah. The catch being that she is the final part of the ritual yeah. performing basically a human sacrifice on herself yeah so sad so both she and the bed die yeah yeah yeah. pretty much everyone dies except for her brother he doesn't die and also the first victim of the demon who we should probably get to uh so the ghost in the painting gives us a little bit of backstory gives us the origin story on how the bed was formed what happened was this tree felt really randy, right? So mm-hmm. he also was a demon, put himself into man's body, made this big-ass bed, and then uh, he was putting the moves on a human lady. She died because of his uh, demonic toxicity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. His eyes shatter. Yeah. Some blood drips down onto the deathbed. And uh, voila, deathbed, eh, voila. The bed. That eats. That's how that happens. Um, Yeah. So, guys, please don't let demons bleed on your beds, okay? Yeah, yeah. Remember, demons are highly toxic, and if they kill you, they'll get real sad, and their eyes will shatter, and that's just unhygienic. So, I suppose a bed doesn't sound very scary, but this is one scary piece of furniture. Yeah. This bed has, has, uh, yeah, telekinetic powers. At least, or at least some mm-hmm. amount of control over the mansion. Yeah, and some kind of pheromonal effect on people around it, uh, yeah. inducing uh, lethargic behavior. Yeah, definitely. I feel as though yeah, that kind of the lethargy played for me both. You know, in the in the plot of the thing with them becoming too drowsy to escape the bed, but also in a sense for the film's aesthetic in a sense the kind of the flatness Mm. of it and the very steady pacing of it yeah really fit in well with that it almost seems as if uh this is all occurring in uh in a very old world the energy has run out you know it's slowly entropy is slowly fading out the edges of the universe and there's no energy to uh fight yeah uh, mortality. So everyone seems very lazy, very slow, very turned inward in terms of their thoughts. So most of the dialogue that we actually hear in this film is basically just train of thought of some of the characters that we see, yeah. with the main example being the ghost in the painting, the man who died of consumption and then was consumed by the bed. Yes. Uh, consumption being a very interesting choice for his ailment. Uh, as it was literally called consumption because people thought uh, demonic vampires were coming in the night to consume bits of your soul. That's why it was consumption. Yeah, he got a, he got a, a double consumption there. Yeah, he got double consumed. 
Um, yeah, Susan Sontag writes quite interestingly about tuberculosis or consumption. Mm-hmm. That in the in the metaphorics of tuberculosis, it's kind of seen as this kind of a, a soul that burns too brightly for the body that carries it, in a sense. Okay. Um, especially in, in the 19th century, that was kind of some of the ideas that surrounded it. A lot of artists died from consumption. So I think that might be why people yeah, kind of see it that way. I think that might have had something to do with the bohemian lifestyle that they were probably leading. Yeah, just like living uh, in shitty, drafty old Parisian apartments and like just kissing open mouths yeah. and sharing wine glasses. Yeah, and don't, not to mention all the fucking. <laughs> all the fucking. So, yeah. So interestingly, I I recognized the the man behind the portrait. It's yes, because they show kind of little flashes of art that he did, uh, and it's the art. Oh, yeah? It's the illustrations of Aubrey Beardsley. Aubrey Beardsley. Yeah, he was okay. quite a big deal nineteenth uh, century illustrator. He illustrated, for example, Oscar Wilde's uh, version of. Uh, Zalume. Okay. So there's an interesting link between That's him and Wilde, mm-hmm. especially with him being trapped in a portrait. That is actually, I didn't see that link with uh, the picture of Dorian Gray, but that is quite apt. Because if, if you actually also think about the things that the, the man in the portrait does, he doesn't really show remorse. He's very mm-hmm. self-centered. When he sees Diane having a smoke, he's like, well, I haven't had tobacco in 70 years. And then the bed magically gifts him tobacco, and he's super chilled. He's um, and he does also seem to be a quiet intellectual type. So mm. you know, I could definitely see maybe a bit of uh, Dorian Gray esque escapades with um, Mr. Beardsley. Yeah. I can also imagine him as a uh, yeah, as kind of a libertine, you mm-hmm. know, the nineteenth century free thinker. He sketched his own deathbed. Yeah, and that's the portrait that he is trapped behind uh, or trapped in. Yeah. What I really liked about that is that, so obviously from the front, it's a it's a it's an illustration of the bed, but from Aubrey's side, he's seeing it as almost like a stage because the curtains of the bed kind of yeah. frame the painting. So he's this unwilling audience to, to all the bed's murders over the years. Yeah. It is quite strange. He's also sort of the historian of the bed because with every trinket that the bed leaves him, he's also got a story about how, uh, where, where that came from. He actually tells a story from his rings that he has and he goes through some very interesting bed murders. Yeah, there were a couple of good ones. Yeah. The first being the death of the reverend, Mm. which... We don't get much backstory there. <laughs> Just that that scene of this guy. He's getting consumed by the yellow foam. And he's just sort of mildly yeah. peeved. He's just kind he's of like, like oh, oh, what? Matt. What, what? What's going on? Oh, it's on my glasses. It's on my glasses. And he's like very lightly thrashing about, but really not fighting it. He gets consumed. The next thing we see is an old lady reading and again the newspapers in this i don't know if you you picked up on it but she was reading the candid press and the big headline title was oral lesbians 
Yeah, she um, she was definitely not your average old lady. No, no. And then she got eight. This film is really literate because she there's like a joke that I don't think many people will catch, but uh, she drops one one of her books is um, Tropic of Capricorn by uh, Cancer. Tropic of Cancer by Henry Miller, um, yeah, which is a pretty raunchy read. Um, oh yeah yeah it's it's very sexy i was actually wondering about that and i made a note here i was like uh henry miller tropic of cancer ask louis (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's it's a a work of classic porn Ooh, yeah they even had porn in the classic ages (laughs) um (laughs) so i think the bed was was reading it like the book fell and then kind of fell open or like the the cover yeah. turned. I think it's appropriate for a bed to be reading uh, blue fiction. Though. Yeah, I think that's what he's all about. Yeah, 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 yeah. There is a lot of nudity in the film, but it is also it's done in kind of an artistic way, except for the first the first scene, the first uh, couple who yeah. die after they go for the hike and fuck. Like that's just it's a very awkward scene with a guy groping the woman's breast and it just looks uncomfortable yeah. and it's a little bit too much of the 70s for me so that was a little bit problematic but the rest of the nudity is it's more artistic uh the yeah. first the first one was a little bit rough yeah I w- but yeah i feel like there might have been some things that were forced into the story because that first scene doesn't really feel very necessary to me. I mean, it sets up the bed yeah. and what it can do. But it does that anyway, pretty much as soon as the, the three women get there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Susan gets turned into a rose bush very quickly. Yeah. And so I wonder what the film would have been like if you cut almost all of the narration. If it was just this I silent... Think- brooding like almost scandinavian very little dialogue. yeah i think it would be highly it would be highly traumatic to watch yeah i had a problem with the narrator i felt that a lot of what he was doing was unnecessary yeah but in that way the film is very existential because we're dealing with death we're dealing with mortality eating is inherently an act of defiance against mortality and he's just talking like nothing that he says matters because in the, at the end of the whole thing, all the kills he lists, everything that the three ladies did, everything the brother does, uh, it really yeah. comes up to nothing where the bed meets its end yeah. by the original victim of the demon who he killed with his lovemaking, thus spawning the bed. Then she gets resurrected at the end the initial girl becomes the final girl does she then exist in that it's not established and that's what i like about it as well is it's not that the film has an open ending it's just that it ends like a fever dream like all good yeah. movies should <laughs> it's very giallo in that way that and you just don't know what's going on yeah. and it's so intense and it's dreamlike and it's slow and it's like they're moving through jello the ending is also just such a mess but it is beautiful to watch the film tie itself together it's not it's not like many b films uh where the the writing and the actual what you're seeing is a problem the storyline is very neat it ties up very very neatly actually yeah definitely i mean 
no no room for a sequel though i'm sure they attempted yeah. one uh yeah i do know that a little bit later on another film was made called deathbed uh which we'll get to at some point but okay it's not the same yeah the original deathbed the bed that eats it's a <laughs> it's a thing upon its own yeah obviously you noticed and also the listeners would have noticed if they watched the film too is that it was broken up into mealtime yes yeah, oh, it started with I breakfast i love that yeah, it was so odd because it starts the the crunching noises. There's yeah. clearly something eating an apple, and then breakfast. We get the hikers, the hiking couple. Yeah. They get chomped. Then lunch, we get Susan, yeah. uh, the wet blanket. I mean, she's a wet blanket just because from the moment we see her, she's complaining. She's like, yeah. oh, uh, Diane was mocking me, and I should get them to take me home. Yeah, I shouldn't be here. Lunch then continues with. All the throwbacks to all the previous kills, including one that I really want to get to, and it's on the sex topic, uh, the sex the clinic orgy. bed orgy thing. Yeah. Uh, we'll get God. to that. Dinner uh, is basically Diane. Yeah. And just desserts is the epilogue. It's where everything gets tied together, uh, the climax. So not really the epilogue, uh, the climax of the film where we get the ritual being performed, and you know me, I'm a sucker for some ritual. Oh, I love a good ritual. Mm. Yeah, I really I really enjoyed the mealtime uh, chapter headings. Yeah. Though, why? Why do I like them so much? Just because they're a little bit different. And it also lends kind of, I think, a natural progression to the film. Yeah. What would the metaphor behind it be, though? What What is the symbolism all about? When we talk about the mealtimes... And clearly the people that we then meet directly after the title, they are the meal. Is it maybe a very pessimistic view that like oh, we're all just hunks of meat wandering around waiting for something to hmm. eat us? Do you think this was uh, this film was written by an artificially intelligent <laughs> robot from the future and it's writing yes. with this propaganda of people are just sacks of meat. Look at y'all. Yeah. You're disgusted. Yeah. You're sweated. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's exactly what happened. It must be. It must be. Uh, I felt that the film's thesis statement, if you will, would be humans are passive observers of their own demise. They turn to resignation in the face of their own mortality, mm. being that they don't really fight back. Diane is the only one that tries to get away. Like even when, uh, for instance, when Sharon is trying to get Diane out of the bed or trying to get her brother out of the bed. Yeah. There's no screaming. There's no like, oh, help me, please. Or, oh, no, you're being eaten. It's just this very weirdly, deliberately slow, silent movement. And it seems like it's digging at exactly what you're saying, that there's this overall sense of resignation to the film, especially like after Diane gets eat, then Sharon just sits in the room. She just sits there. Yeah. No energy to leave. No energy to cry. Just. She's almost already like. Resigned. Uh, Aubrey in the painting. Yeah. Basically, when her brother comes, she's not. Uh, she's not happy to see him. She's not surprised to see him. She's not anything to see him. Yeah. She just doesn't react really. Uh. He starts moving around the room and she follows him because I can might as well follow the movement. Man, what a fucking weird movie. It is very strange. I feel like it's saying something important, though. It's trying... The, the director had a vision and he was trying very hard to 
convey a message and a feeling that he had probably about the nature of melancholy and a bed you know when you're depressed when you're very in a depressive state the bed becomes a prison in that way that you go to sleep you wake up there's no point in moving so you just stay yeah it just Uh, yeah there's no will to perform any actions you're not going to go get food you're not going to go get water you're just going to stay yeah deathbed the depression that eats depression bed yeah depression bed yeah because remember if you stay in a bed forever it will consume your body yeah yeah your muscle mass will degenerate your organs will degenerate you basically become consumed by the bed and eventually your visceral ooze that you become after death will will seep into the bed and that bed will be marked forever let's do a quick little listener quiz listener if you had to guess how deathbed the bed that eats eats how would you say a bed eats a with a big mouth or b by secreting a yellow foam go on to the facebook page and check it out i hope we remember to post the quiz ah yeah we actually do have to do that but it's b if you did do the quiz on facebook uh, I wanted to come for the answer. It's B. It's weird. I didn't expect it. Mm. Uh, it's so interesting. No, like no, you no. just lay I, I was expecting bed. teeth. Yeah, exactly. Or like just for it to kind of open up into a hole and then they fall in and it snaps shut again. But that's not what happens at all. Yeah, kind of like the Sarlacc. Yeah, that's what I would have in Star imagined. But it's almost like its its surface becomes permeable. It's It's like his stomach acid is boiling up into this foam that then mm-hmm. kind of brings the body back down with it into the into the stomach and the stomach yeah. i gotta say is i think aesthetically my favorite part of the foam just to look at yes um the people do seem very peaceful yeah it reminds me of the photography of um anders serrano who did his, I guess his most famous piece is Piss Christ, where he yeah he's put a little crucifix in in a glass of piss. Took a photo of that. That is uh, that's truly hard work. Yeah, that's why we need to keep funding the arts. That's what the arts are for. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but so uh, a lot of the shots of the people or the things in the stomach reminded me of that, where it's this very dreamlike space and this kind of yellowish water um mm. and everything kind of as you said like dissolving yeah as it sinks. and everything slows down i mean because a submerged person everything moves more slowly yeah uh, your hair floats gently your body falls more slowly uh, so in the scenes that we do see people falling into the bed stomach it's kind of seems like a gentle passing it, it yeah. seems that only when you resist the bed will you actually experience pain. But if you just go down like the reverend, he knew what he knew what he was doing. Yeah. He knew there was no escape from death bed, the bed that eats. <laughs> He'd already made his peace with dying. He's he was ready to pass on. Yeah. He probably knew of the bed and he was like, Well, this is a good way to go to God. You you know who didn't expect to die? Who? Like the eight people who were fucking on it? Oh yes, let's get to the orgy. It's fantastic. So the Aubrey in the painting, he says to us that after the the sexy old lady, you know, passes on the bed, the 
mansion passes to someone, passes to someone else, and they they pitch this bed as sexual rejuvenation. So if if you're a little bit flat, you know, if you're a bit soft in the trousers, you can go there, and this bed will get you stiff. Also, probably some mild sex work going on there. As yeah, well. I wouldn't call uh, it mild. <laughs> Some full-on prostitution happens, and eventually they're like, "Oh man, the bed is just not working out." These guys remain flaccid, as would be expected from you know people with erectile dysfunction. They should have popped some blue pills, gotten them blue bombers going, get them a stiffy. <laughs> but but uh, they move the bed outside because now they're like, "Oh, this is a celestial bed." Yeah, we're gonna. This bed only works. If we're outside. Yeah, like, the part of this guy's like, oh, yes, the bed is recharged by the sun with its, you know, lodestones. Artificially charged lodestones. Yeah, and also here's um, here's a lady. Yeah, just a little bit of inspiration. But sure, it's the bed that's doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The lady also, she doesn't do anything. She just sort of sits on the edge of the bed looking at you. Yeah. <laughs> and then that's supposed to do the trick. I, I still feel like maybe a little bit of Zolo Maxiloft could have done mm-hmm, the trick mm-hmm, a little mm-hmm. bit better. But the bed then gets hired by a cult. Let's call it a cult. Let's just call This cult hires way. the bed. They invite the proprietors into their orgy. Mm-hmm. And here's the funny thing. This bed is big. It's a really big it's bed. It's a really big bed. I would say that I might even fit on this bed. That's a big bed. No toes hanging over the edge for me. They get under a bed, under covers, bouncy, bouncy, bouncy. Ah, they're all dead. Yeah. They're all dead. They all get eaten. And it's, it seems like a really uncomfortable way to have an orgy with like a big blanket yeah. over the whole orgy. I would feel like an orgy is probably a little bit m- more fun if you can see mm. what's happening. I feel like half, like a big part of what an orgy is about is the environment it, of yeah. the orgy. Yeah, it's all about atmosphere. Not just a writhing mass of sweat and limbs. Yeah, and especially since they took the bed outside, you know, they, they had a lovely mm. view of the forests. Their giggles of pleasure turn to cries of pain mm. and shock as they are consumed. And that's actually where we get the best scenes of the inside of the bed stomach Yeah, is where the orgy falls in and they're just slowly floating down and up. And that's the funny thing is I was trying to figure out the whole time. How do they actually do the effect of people yeah. falling into the bed? And then they gave because it away. Because how did they give it away? No, I, I couldn't figure it out. Oh, because... How did they... Oh, falling into the... Like, the... Like, how do you achieve that effect uh, on camera? Because the bed is very thin. It's not a very thick bed, so there can't be someone hidden underneath going like, hee hee hee, I'll open the door <laughs> and you come down. <laughs> And then just gently lifting you down. Um, and there's some candles and like a bottle of wine. Because I think, you know, the way they position the camera, there's always like a little fold of blanket or sheet that obscures the yeah. actual bed surface. So I wonder if they yes. didn't maybe have like an entirely different rig of, or something that, that did the lowering. Well, that's possible. Uh, I just always, I'm fascinated how b films actually achieve the effects that they yeah they want especially something like deathbed where it's a it's a tough effect to pull off yeah having someone submerged and slowly sinking into a bed a bed which you know they can actually lie down on before sinking in it, it's intriguing to say the least how they 
how the directors pull it off. Yeah. Know? How, you know, the set design is actually very ingenious in these films. Um, yeah, definitely. Definitely. So do you want to talk about Diane's very artsy nightmare before she gets eaten? Yeah, I actually want to talk about all the nightmares yeah. we see. So Diane's nightmare, she wakes up in the bed in her nightmare, yeah, yeah, yeah. gets out of bed. She's in a nightgown, uh, which she wasn't in before yeah. getting into the bed. She sees uh, Susan, who then shows her a book. And she asks Susan, where have you been, Susan? Uh, we were mildly worried about you. I've just been sitting here reading by the fire. Oh, what are you reading, Susan? It's a book of the dead. It's got all the dead people in it. <laughs> um, but that is legitimately what she says. Uh, she said it's a, it's a book of yeah. the dead. Um, and Diane takes it and she says, uh, oh, this book is blank. There's nothing there. And Susan says, no, I'm in it and you're in it too. And then when she looks again, yeah. the pages are mirrors. Yeah. And um, she sees herself. God. That was actually for me, like, legitimately good. <laughs> I was like, yes. damn, that's really, that's very <laughs> good. <laughs> oh, man. They did the same thing in Kung Fu Panda, though, with the dragon scroll. Oh, shit. And he unrolls the dragon scroll and has a secret on how to be the dragon warrior. Yeah. And it's just this mirrored surface and you just see yourself and the secret was within you all along. <laughs> <laughs> I fell for but it. But reflection, yeah, reflection plays a big part in this movie though yeah. because you see a lot of shots where suddenly people are reflected on something. Like the, was it Sharon or the original victim of the demon who gets reflected onto the gravestone? Oh yeah, it's uh, it's the the original, the original and best. Right, and that sort of implies visually that she's trapped within the grave, yeah. uh, that was, which we later find out obviously is true. That was a f awesome shot. Also, again, that snap yeah. cut between a gravestone and then a mirror shaped like a gravestone reflecting this naked lady or not in you know like yeah, yeah covering herself but naked i mean that is really fantastic and it's very original and it's like i said that the ingenuity of b forms uh, yeah is it's astounding yeah i love diane's nightmare what happens at the end of her nightmare how does she she stands up from kneeling with the book clearly shocked by seeing herself in the book of dead people uh, she's also the only person there I don't know how Susan saw more people. Maybe Susan is mildly schizophrenic. Yeah. But Diane gets up and it's this funny shot where there's a double exposure sort of vibe happening mm -hmm. where she first stands up as a naked person and then uh, stands yeah. up in the nightgown to match the naked person. And that basically visually implies that she has been exposed to the truth, uh, to what's going yeah. to happen. And her... Her soul and her body are becoming loosened from each other. Yeah. Uh, I believe that's directly after this. She wakes up and she she's like, oh, fuck this. I got to get off the bed. Surprisingly, she's not been digested yet. She starts walking off the bed. I would have rolled off the side. It's much quicker. But she gets onto her knees and this causes her to fall into the bed, legs first, and her legs get chomped up quite hectically. And it's the most... A uh, visually troubling scene in the form is where she's crawling away from the bed because there's a lot of blood and she's moaning and 
she's the only person in this film trying to extend her life. She's actively working towards survival. The dream you had last night of your hands disappearing has been linked to going, quote, cold turkey in a recent study. This should be immediately reported to your nearest Zolo Maxlock supplier for your safety. Subscriptions may be required to receive a fresh dose. Zolo Maxlock, what you gon' do, punk? Uh, this is also around the time that Sharon gets back because she'd gone for help to fi help find Susan. She gets back because the car doesn't work and hears Diane's cry and she runs to Diane. But then obviously, like we said earlier, her attempt at rescuing Diane is very half-hearted. Yeah, Susan's nightmare also was, was genuinely scary for me. So her nightmare takes place in this kind of black black box room with a table and she's presented with a, a dish and she takes the silver lid off and it's this mass of crawling green caterpillars and and like a bunch of gunk i don't know like sewer garbage i don't know what it was the whole time that we see her she's like man these people hate me i shouldn't be here she's second guessing herself and as someone who's an introvert i can guarantee you that introverts have those sort of feelings you know if someone maybe makes a joke at our expense then we're not welcome we need to leave uh i yeah. i have uh, counteracted that in the past by just you know making a joke at their expense and then they need to leave by my own rules uh she has this matronly voice talk to her and force feed her this green slime of worms and like actively crawling moths and it's very gross. Yeah, definitely. What really made it scary to me was the conversation between her and the person who's who's feeding her this dish is very polite and very understated. And Susan's like, "Oh no, I, I I couldn't possibly. I'm I'm really not hungry right now. Thank you." And the lady's, "Oh no, but I made it especially for you. Mm. You have to try it." And it's you know a, a way in which you actually might get forced into eating something. By like an, an aunt. It's really being killed with kindness. The last thing that I want to point out is that oh, the only thing that we see ever actually eating in this film is the bed. Everyone else has intentions to eat. They're packing out food, but they never quite get to the point of ingesting any food. They're not sustaining themselves. They always have food and the bed consumes food. Like we see in the first segment, the bed does consume the food that that's sort of laid out for them but we don't see any of the characters actually eating yeah that's interesting. i i didn't realize it until you just said that but yeah that's that's really true the bed eats everything yeah and that's something we should probably make clear is that this bed doesn't just eat people it eats anything you put on the bed roses your bucket of chicken luggage your apple yeah it'll eat pretty much anything luggage Literally, this anything. bed is a very good way of replacing landfills. I feel um, like you could just keep feeding the bed your trash, and it'll just keep eating the trash. Yeah. yeah. Oh, dude. We should get these beds. That's he should have really them. turned his life around. He should have, but then I mean, of course, he was the bed itself was driven mad by hunger from 
being a hungry bed, it sort of limits your dinner options. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really does. But that's the thing. If he had gotten a job at a landfill, he'd never be hungry again. Yeah, it's true. But this bed obviously was lazy, being as as it were a bed that used to live in an Clearly. estate. It's not used to doing hard work for a decent meal. <laughs> Bourgeois bed. Never done a day's work in his life. Yeah. A bed with the soft hands <laughs> of a bed. Uh, so, Louis, if you had to rate this film out of one to four meals, how many meals would you feed your bed? I would say this film is, is a whole brunch buffet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, t- it's two meals in one, and it's too much. Yes, it is definitely too much. I would call it one impromptu dessert for breakfast uh, is what I'm going to rate this film as. Ooh, okay. Uh, it, yeah, it's naughty. It's it's sort of off the cuff. Good stuff. And what I really, really appreciated about it is that it's just an hour and 20 minutes long, which is please can more movies be an hour and 20 minutes long? Yeah, especially the slow kind. Yeah, and I would, I would really, I would recommend this movie but not if you're looking for, like, a fun thing to watch with friends. Yeah, it's definitely not a barrel of laughs uh, like I thought it would be going into going into it. Yeah, you hear the title and you think, oh, oh this is going to be a funny one. Yeah. But then it turns out to be a really weird one. Yeah, it is surprisingly artistic, uh, which is also what I would like people to say about me. <laughs> just in general <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so I mean all in all it's a good movie it's a good watch if you're a fan of classic classic B movies it is definitely it should be on your watch list it's not long like we said I'm, I've been re-watching the extended version of the Lord of the, Ring, Lord of the Rings trilogy and four hours is too long for a movie that's a long movie. Yeah, like an hour and 20 minutes, I'm happy. I was watching it, and I got bored, and I checked, and I was like, oh, I'm halfway there. I might as well just stay and finish it, uh, which was nice. Yeah. And then the ending is, yeah. the payoff is brilliant. And it's almost Lovecraftian in that in that cosmic horror sense of being powerless mm-hmm. to uh, counteract your own fate. Especially in, in Aubrey's character, I think that comes through beautifully. Yeah. And, you know, even though this thing was shot on evidently a pretty cheap camera, mm-hmm. on some pretty cheap film, and they had a very cheap post-production process or whatever. This is cheap all um, around. Some of it is really surprisingly beautiful. Yeah. They do capture the aesthetic that the camera creates very well. Yeah, definitely. So they, they use that handicap as an advantage uh, as something special to lend to the the feel of the film yeah so that has been this episode of be positive the positive b movie podcast deathbed the bed that eats great great film it gets our stamp of approval and definitely do yourself a favor and watch it be drunk or stoned when you watch it though I feel like that's going to help you Mm. just to get through the slow parts. I mean, maybe pass out for a little while. Watch it in your bed. Yeah. It's a good place. Okay, well, I have been uh, Death Louis, the Louis that eats. Yeah, and I have been Fraser, the Fraser that Frasers. 
And as always, <laughs> you stay scary. Uh, that's one spooky bed. It is a spooky bed. You are, and also a spooky painting. And also because of the, the literal spook inside of it. Okay. All right. Good Thanks, stuff. everybody. Check us out on Facebook. Check us out on Twitter. I think we missed that. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> like and subscribe. Do the thing. Uh, now it's finally done. Do that every episode.